Let's hear some of that movie chat. Credits roll by and I tip my hat. Credits roll by, I wanna know more right away. Let's have some of that movie chat. Credits roll by, tell me who did that. Life in the credits is where I wanna play. Welcome to Life in the Credits. This is the show where we learn about entertainment by chatting with people who work in the industry. I'm Susan. And I'm Ben. And today we're discussing the film Kronos. And joining us today is our special guest, Alex Rojas. So welcome, Alex. Thank you so much for joining us. Hey, Alex. Excited hey. to have you here. <laughs> Hi, thank you. So Alex, can you get us started tonight by telling us a little bit about what you do in the entertainment world? My job is kind of fun, but at the same time, it's kind of a mess because I do pretty much a lot. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I own a production company here in Mexico. I direct commercials, advertising, basically, but mm-hmm. also then I start doing the TV shows, documentaries, and someday some guy in from London called me and they wanted to do a show for Nat Geo. Mm-hmm. And that's when I actually started doing this job called fixing. Okay. So I'm a fixer or slash local producer in Mexico. In the past, fixer was basically a guy connecting talent or contributors with production companies because they were coming to do, you know, all those kind of documentaries for all those kind of uh, networks. Mm -hmm. So uh, in the past, most, most of them were just journalists. Now it's more like a local producer. Okay, cool. So that's, that's pretty much what I do. Yeah. (laughs) Short version. We'll delve more into that. Um, So can you give us any examples of some of the projects that you've worked on from either your own production company, your film career, or your job as a fixer? Yeah. As a fixer, I I started a long time ago in in a show for Nagio, like 10 years, 12 years ago, called Locked Up Abroad. And then someone recommended me to do a show uh, with a production company called 0.0. Anthony Bourdain, Parts yeah. Unknown, was my first big show. Wow, very cool. And after Tony, everything just started coming. Yeah. Uh, and since then, I've done Somebody Fit Phil uh, with Phil Rosenthal for Netflix. I've done Gordon Ramsay, Uncharted. Um, I've done Rev Run Around the World with Rev Run from Run the MC. Awesome. Mostly, it's it's food and travel. Because yeah. mm-hmm. who pays you for yeah. traveling and knitting and learning stuff <laughs> uh, and also showing your country. So so yeah. that's, that's a lot of what I do. And I, I in the past, I used to do also kind of crime documentaries or, okay. or shows. But then I realized that that's not what I that's not the portrait that I want for my country. Yeah, very that's cool. excellent. So when a company calls you, you know, as a fixer, then you say you're hooking them up with, you know, local people who can actually help the production. And so do you have a network of people you work with locally um, in order so that when people call you, you have people you can turn to, you know, to do these jobs? Yeah. Some companies, for instance, the big companies in the past, uh, 0.0 with uh, Parts Unknown was was a good example. They bring basically everyone. It's a documentary series. So they come with a couple of DPs, assistant camera. Uh, segment producers, story producers, uh, director, but they hire here local drivers, uh, local assistant producers. That's what I what I bring to the to the game. But also, they normally ask me for recommendations of uh, characters or talent. Okay. For instance, with with Tony, I was super lucky to start the conversation with Jeff and Ryan, the producer and director, and. Tony was really clear on what he wanted. Like, like he was for that episode, he wanted to do the same 
kind of uh, kind of experience that for this book called Under the Volcano, mm-hmm. where Laurie basically writes about this guy that is very uh, very troubled, and he's having a very bad um, writer's block. So he was living in in Cuernavaca near Mexico City, and he he used to see the volcanoes from his room. Uh, one day he decided to start a big journey, the last journey to get in the, the last happy experience. So Tony was kind of feeling the same thing about that episode. They knew that they wanted to do crime because something related to crime and corruption, because at the beginning of the show, Tony said, Mexico is our brother from another mother. Mm-hmm. So basically everything that happens in Mexico, it's kind of the U.S. fault. Yeah. So um, so they asked me for, uh, like, who's the best? character so we can show about corruption in in sports or in in a restaurant or in general with cartels and with a journalist and so that's the way we kind of started the conversation and my job was kind of recommend like oh i know this fighter this boxer he has a great story about corruption because he he was an amateur he was on the uh, olympics on the olympics team and suddenly one guy from the Mexico Olympic uh, Commission, they decided to take their money off uh, and they left all the team in in Cuba. Wow. And that was kind of example of corruption in Mexico. And also they brought some ideas like, oh, we want to talk to Anabel Hernandez, this writer. Uh, She has a couple of books about cartel activities. And so I'm kind of give them ideas, but at the same time, I like to be part of their ideas to just have better content. That's one thing. And the other one is basically logistics. Yeah. Setting up everything that they need. So so production will be uh, basically going perfectly. Cool. Excellent. So can you tell us about your path you took for this career? So maybe education, uh, things you did in school, things after that, connections you made that led you to the career you have today? I started really young. I I remember when I was in high school, I was doing this kind of college newspaper uh, in my school, but I wanted to be a radio DJ. I remember when I was a kid, we have this kind of the same thing as Santa, Santa Claus in the US. We have the three kings here, Los Reyes Magos. So I asked for a microphone and I never got it. Oh no. So I guess that was my my big trauma. Yeah. So, (laughs) (laughs) So I wanted to be a radio DJ. But then I was doing that in, in high school. And then the, I have a chance to move to the States for a couple of years and study in, in a school in, in Michigan. I was doing radio by the time. Mm-hmm. And the school said that I wasn't I wasn't going to be doing well because I have an accent, obviously. I'm, I'm from Mexico, right. uh, so I have an accent. And they were supposed to uh, grade accent expressions and all the stuff. The real thing is that the radio part of the class was full. They have limited space for for students, so they were like, "Oh, you have to go and study television and and, and production." Wow. So I I fell on that and I did it. And then I came back to Mexico because I promised my parents that I was going to do a, a major here in Mexico. Okay. In Mexico is very important. My dad is a accountant and also a lawyer so he really wanted like this piece of paper saying that I have a major so I I studied here communication science and one day in one class I met this amazing director of photography he's one of my probably biggest influences and basically he was the one kicking me into this business 
And then the next class, the next semester, I met this amazing director, Aaron. He's uh, another commercial director. And my very first day as a second assistant director, the first AV got a big migraine in the middle of the night. So I have to run the set for a couple of hours. Wow. First time on set. Oh my God. <laughs> and I think I didn't, I didn't do it that bad because yeah, they, I kept, mean... they kept calling me. <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. And then I realized like, okay, I, I, I like radio. Yeah. I like voiceover, but um, I think television directing and yeah. it's, it's my stuff. Then I started, I, I started assisting. Then I started directing my first things. One day I realized that uh, to tell the whole story, it's always nice to to be behind the camera, because because normally the DP the DP the director of photography is always looking into how's the light working or yeah. how beautiful the the frame is. But uh, you as a director, you are you are looking at so many things with with the talent or with the character. Like uh, if it's a documentary and you're watching this guy getting anxious and he's moving the, his hands or his feet. That's that tell a story. It's more powerful sometimes than just watching his face because because a lot of people, a lot of us have amazing poker face, but <laughs> some of those movements can uh, can tell the truth. Yeah. So I started operating camera, and then someone thought that it was a good idea and it was good. Uh, I I yeah. had a good eye. Yeah. And I started directing uh, camera for some shows. Last year, I did one show for Netflix called Waffles and Mochi. Mm-hmm. Yes. One of the shows produced yeah. by, by Michelle Obama. Uh-huh. Awesome. I did this documentary for Frida, about Frida Kahlo. Uh, mm-hmm. I shot in the States for six weeks uh, mm-hmm. for the BBC. And also I did one uh, one documentary called uh, COP71. Uh, also from a from a British company. So that's that's kind of the way I I, I move. One day I got because I was young and I yeah. got really tired. I my ego was like things too big. I got yeah. tired of these advertising companies and these yeah. uh, creative directors. You know th- those guys that says like, oh, in my dream this is gonna be an amazing commercial and we are gonna win so many awards. But in the end, it's just a, a imaginist commercial. Um, <laughs> so I got tired of of all that kind of. Um, attitude and as i told you my friend was living in the uk and they wanted to do a show here in mexico uh for nat geo i was like oh i can do it i produce that well i locally produce that and that's how i also start started fixing so that's kind of my my resume like the fast track of my my yeah in this industry that's amazing (laughs) very very cool as a fixer you know, how do you build those relationships uh, to make sure that when someone comes to you, a production company or whoever comes to you, you know what to do or who to talk to? When I started this, I realized that it's not about just knowing the places or or uh, having the connections like everybody. And now it's it's easier. You can see there is a lot of, of, of um, groups on Facebook. Uh, there's one big group called uh, I Need a Fixer. And you'll see that there's like 20, 30 Mexican fixers. Mm -hmm. But then in a different group, in a Mexican group called El Gremio, that it's just people from from Mexico, you can you sometimes you see that that people asking questions like, uh, do anyone know someone in the government or do anyone know someone? So now it's getting those contacts. uh, It's very easy. Okay, You can just get on get online. 
if you want to talk to the Ministry of Culture, just mm -hmm. go online and find the 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 telephone. The thing is, how can you really relate to the the real stories? I think it's kind of a hunger of knowing, a hunger of knowledge, or and also be passionate about what you are looking for. Like for instance, uh, a friend says that I'm kind of the Troy McClure. I don't know if you remember this character from 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 The Simpsons. Yes. Um, because he says that I'm the Troy McClure of Mexican documentaries. Because <laughs> when I start talking about my country, I just yeah, I just keep going and mention like a lot of things. Mm -hmm. So that happens with uh, with Tony. I was talking to Ryan, the director, and he was like, "Hey, do you want to be on camera?" And then the next show, it was, I think it was Annie Sibonet. Also, the, uh, it was a show for Canada. The producer, I would start talking to the producer and then she was like, hey, do you want to be on camera in one segment? <laughs> and then the, the same happened with Rev, Ron, and then yeah. the same happened with uh, Phil. I, I, awesome. I've done two episodes uh, of Somebody uh -huh. Fit Phil, one in Mexico City and one in Oaxaca. And I have a segment with him in, in each episode. It's kind of just being in love with this. With this. Yeah. Uh, knowledge with this culture with yeah. the characters I, I think the most important thing and I think that I love this job because mm. I love telling stories yeah and each person has a like an amazing story to tell no matter who he is no mm. matter who she is they have like amazing stories and that if you mix it with food culture locations it just get bigger so mm. In terms of content, I think that's that's what I love, like yeah. getting really involved with characters, knowing more, learning more, uh, study about them, study about the place, and then just try to be a decent human being. Mm -hmm. Like if you're, for instance, a lot of companies, and you, this happens a lot when when it comes to fixing. You know, you're doing this show. Uh, I was I was gonna do like a really big show here in Mexico. And they, they were like, oh, just tell them that it's the fill-in-the-blank talent show. So she's super important or he's super important. Not everybody knows them. They are going to be happy to be there. But you cannot go to the middle of the mountain in Mexico and someone who makes like a couple of dollars a week yeah. and tell them like, okay, you have to stop working for a couple of days just because it's blank mm -hmm. show and it's super important and it's going to be in TV. The people from the mountains, the people from yeah. the jungle, the or, or the people from the market, they don't care. Right. They, they don't even know them. Yeah. So you'll see a lot of shows that they go in and they kind of tell the story of about mole or about yeah. uh, the marketing in Oaxaca or about the place in Chihuahua. But when you see the show, you you find no connection between the character and the talent, like the, the host. Yeah. It's interesting. Part of my job is trying to show those connections and trying yeah. to build those connections. And I think that's why I get these kind of shows, like the big shows, because I like to find the connection or the character that really has a story to tell. Be proud of the people who I'm bringing to yeah. set or to camera and also just love my country and show it yeah. to everyone who is, who is around. Yeah, that's I awesome. think that's awesome. And it's it's so great that there's shows coming in that want to let you show your country, you know, in the way you want it to be seen and, you know, the way it is and tell these genuine stories. I think that's really great. Yeah, because you you can always talk about and and it's going to be on every magazine and every yeah. big show or every every travel guide. For instance, 
Gabi Camara from Contramar, one of the biggest restaurants in Mexico or one of the most important. I think it's the number one uh, travel advisor place to go in Mexico City. Gabi is more than just Contramar. I yeah. know her because I work with her on a, on another show. I know her before that. And I I invited her when I when we were doing the uh, Gordon Ramsay show. Mm-hmm. They asked me like, oh, you know a chef who can be can kind of balance the 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 energy of of Gordon. Yeah. And I was like, oh, Gabby is Gabby is <laughs> one. But at the same time, it's like, oh, Gabby has way more things to say. Yeah. Other than Contramar, the the restaurant. Right. But at the same time, it's like okay. But I know this lady in the middle of Oaxaca who makes the best chocolate. Yeah. Uh, she she's amazing and she knows the story of chocolate. But at the same time, she she will teach you how to do it. We have like another chef, uh, Jorge Jorge Leon from a place called Alfonsina, that he used to work with Enrique Olvera, the the biggest chef in Mexico. Jorge's story is way more interesting than Enrique. I mean, everyone knows Enrique's story and uh, and how they do this amazing mole in his place. But Jorge is kind of the guy that came from Oaxaca to Mexico City and cooked that mole for a while in Puyol. Yeah. But also he is, he had the option of like opening a big restaurant with Olvera, Olvera's group. And Jorge was like, no, I just want to go back to my mom's. I want to build a restaurant with my family. And I just want to do that because I'd love to be with my family. Yeah. And I think that, that story tells yeah. way more than yeah. these other a big number of chefs mm-hmm. that they get the chance. They open like a fancy, uh, super famous restaurant with a lot of money. Yeah. it's. I think it, it's more beautiful. Sometimes those romantic stories of the guy yeah. that is coming back to his home, uh, to his home place. Mm-hmm. Uh, to open a restaurant with his family. I fall in love every time I do one of these shows. So Alex, what is the most challenging part of being a fixer? Normally, they want to do the same thing that they saw on a different show, for instance. Uh, And it's, it's, I'm not saying that it, that's wrong, Mm -hmm. but it's, it's kind of the good thing that they know that it's going to be good on TV. Because they've seen it already. One of the biggest challenges to, show places or show people that are interested and, and also kind of connect with the with content that they want to do. And the other thing is, you know, Mexico, I mean, it's uh, well common known that uh, it's a, it's some places it, it's hard to be around. We have like different cartels. Uh, we have um, some problems in some places. Mm-hmm. So sometimes going to those places kind of, it's kind of challenging safety reasons. Mm-hmm. For instance, with uh, when we were doing Long Way Up uh, with Ewan McGregor, we came from Guatemala and we were going to go all the way up to LA oh. because they were coming from, from Argentina. And they were these two really famous guys with these two uh, electric bikes and these two pickup trucks, the Rivian trucks, just going around the, the country. So... Just imagine going through probably a dangerous territory with Ewan McGregor. Yeah. Right, right. I mean, it's not not like everybody will know him. Yeah. But the thing, just seeing two guys, uh, two trucks and the cameras going around, that kind of yeah. um, make people turn around. And so the safety of our crews or and our talent is important. But the most challenging thing is sometimes... Hum, uh, human nature, like uh, 
just dealing sometimes with people that they don't really care about what they are telling. They just want to come do the do their thing and leave. I've been lucky of working with just people that I really like mm-hmm. and saying no when I don't know if you know this this story about Lucy Lou. I'm sorry, I'm gonna swear, but <laughs> she said she says that um her dad told her that you need fuck you money. Because when you don't have money, you cannot say fuck you to anyone because yeah. you need the you need the work, you need mm-hmm. the job. So I've been lucky, I've yeah. been blessed that I've done like a lot of work and a lot of pro shows. And also I have my production company in Mexico who, who yeah. that we that we do a lot of other things. So when these kind of shows um that they don't respect people or they yeah. don't care about the content, I just can say like, okay, screw yeah. you. I won't do it. Yeah. And I've done that a couple of times with I mean, you will be surprised sometimes you can get a lot a lot of money because mm-hmm. you get paid in pounds or dollars. Okay. But I don't think any kind of money it's big enough for you to treat people wrong yeah. or to just go around doing wrong things to the culture, to the people, mm-hmm. to the locations. So that's that's probably the most challenging thing and the 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 most difficult thing to do when you're in this. Exactly. Yeah. You have to protect your network and you have to protect your country and you know what people are saying about it. It's really exactly. important. So yeah, yeah definitely. So you did mention your own production company, De Milagro Films. So can you tell us more about it, how it started and some of the projects you work on? Yeah, we started in 2006. In the past, I used to work with a different production companies directing. And then one day I realized that I needed my own place, like my own house to do my, the yeah. stuff that I really wanted. Because in the end, you are basically selling yourself to do projects, especially uh, in advertising. You are selling yourself to do stuff that you don't really care about i mean you put your whole heart to or and your whole soul into one commercial yeah but it's a brand and there is no there's no nothing important other than it's just the the commercial and it's going to be on tv it's going to be 30 seconds and and it's going to be one of like thousands and thousands of commercials and it's going to be for uh forgotten in a while so i wanted to have some something that i could kind of control and yeah. do my own stuff. So I, with a friend, uh, we started the Milagro. It's an expression in Mexico. Originally, it was uh, El Milagrito Films, that it's the little miracle, because we did a short film called El Milagrito a while ago. And then there was a production company in Uruguay, I think, called El, called Milagrito Films. Oh, Okay. So a friend of mine from a, from an advertising agency, she was like, "Oh, we have worked with you t- before." And we were like, "No, we just we just opened." And then she, <laughs> she showed me show me the name, and I was like, "Oh, that's not us." And oh, I'm not gonna no. be I'm not gonna be fighting for the name yeah. because we're in Mexico and you're in Uruguay. So then we uh, we were talking with my partner by that time, and we were like, "Okay, how can we call this? Like, it's not gonna be El Milagrito." Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the little miracle and in mexico we have this expression that uh, it's called the milagro that something happens just because okay. like uh, so so it became the milagro films and that's how we started we have certain rules we were gonna do commercials because that's what we knew how to do it mm-hmm. but also we want we were gonna do at least two or three uh pieces a year with social content like uh it, that was kind of our way to 
give back to the country or to the yeah. world something because because i'm not i'm not a millionaire so i cannot i cannot um donate like a, a million dollars yeah. every year so what i can do is i can tell the story of people who really cool. need something or yeah. who wanted to do something or that some some stories that i think are important so that's how we started. We were doing commercials some uh, someday. A couple of days later, we were in the middle of the mountain telling a story about uh, this amazing artist that it's basically unknown, but he's amazing. And that's how we kind of started. We've done commercials for like big brands. I directed Div Camera for like the the for Spotify campaigns, okay. the Latin America Spotify campaigns. Well, we have done Coca Cola. We have done. LG Electronics was one of our first uh, clients from the beginning, and I'm still working with them. Sony, I uh, did a couple of commercials for Expedia, for like 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 a lot of big brands. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, but at the same time, once I got tired, as I told you, from from all this all this uh, bullshit yeah. in, in advertising, I realized, okay, I, I want to do something else, mm -hmm. and television basically shows up. Do you have any moments from your career that you would consider like a favorite moment or just an unbelievable moment where you're like, I can't believe this is what I get to do for a living right now? I've been blessed. I'm not a rich guy. I didn't come from a rich family, uh, but I was lucky to be in a humble house. Um, my parents give me kind of all the options. Well, I'm going to go back. Sorry. I'm going to go back to 1985 in Mexico. Yeah. There was a big earthquake in 1985 in Mexico City. Uh, well, in, in the whole country, but it was the the biggest hit was in Mexico City. So I I used to be in on, on this private school. When you ask me about my dad, I don't remember him in the house when I was a kid because he used to wake up like super early, leave to because he was teaching and then he was working on a on a on a factory just to pay our scholarship. Mm -hmm. So I was lucky to be on that private school. But when I was a kid uh, in 1985, um, the, there was a big earthquake. And kind of the school opened their doors to all those kids that lose a lot of things. So kind of the demographics of my school kind of got bigger. So that gave me a chance to start connecting with people yeah. that are that wasn't the, the people that I normally will be uh, connecting to. Probably that was a good moment in, in my life. And then I found this this school in Michigan, and I stayed there for a couple of years. It was tough because I didn't I didn't know anyone in yeah. in the U.S. I didn't have any friends. I was really tied to my family here in Mexico, so I didn't have any family, any 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 friends living in Detroit, and also Detroit in the '90s was kind of the eight mile yeah. scenario. Yeah, right? like uh, every time someone asked me, like, "Oh, how was living in Detroit?" It was super cool, and I was like, "No, just watch." Just watch Eight Mile yeah. and then you realize how Detroit yeah. was in the night. And then I came back to Mexico and I think I have the opportunity to start meeting people from like the, the upper class. But at the same time, I I wasn't living in the upper class neighborhoods. I was living in the in the working class neighborhoods. And my dad was kind of always uh, keeping us humble. Yeah. Like you were not able to show off anything because... First of all, you didn't have anything, <laughs> but at the same time, my my dad used to used to treat us like that. Like, okay, mm -hmm. you cannot uh, treat anyone bad. You yeah. you have to 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 learn from people uh, what they can teach you. Mm -hmm. And in terms of my career, I think the time when I met this director in my school, and then um, I met 
at Tony. And if you ask everyone who knew, who knew Tony, I don't think he knew how he impacted the life of so many people in the industry or so many people around. And we were not like super friends. We were not like uh, homies and we were not like <laughs> meeting each other like every time. But he was he was one of those guys that we had a conversation one night and that was that was powerful enough. And because of him, I started getting like a lot of work. Very cool. That's exciting. Very exciting. Well, Alice, we got one more question for you before we move on and talk about the movie. That question is, what advice do you have for people who want to get into the industry or even be a fixer or, you know, any of the many things that you've done in your career? Do what you love. Once you see a crack on the door, just keep your foot there. Yeah. Probably you'll, you'll be able to get in. Probably you won't. But the first thing is you have to be there. Mm-hmm. Then keep being humble. You have to learn every every day something new. If you want to be a director of photography, it's cool that you can you know how to carry a camera. It's good that you you will know where to push rec and stop. Yeah. But also it, it's amazing when you realize that, oh, uh, this works because the light works like this. But at the same time, oh, the director wants to show the real story of this or the micro language that it, this guy is showing. So learn about micro language. It's not, it's not a technical thing. Mm-hmm. But it's a psychological thing that sometimes when you're doing documentaries or when you're doing fiction, works a lot. But at the same time, connect with people, no matter what you see on TV. Because in the end, I've, I mean, I've done news in the past and you know that everything has an interest behind it. And what you hear is the story of someone, uh, but it's not the whole story. So if you kind of keep learning and kind of be in the middle of everything, uh, I think you can just keep going and going and going and connect with people. Like, just connect with people and be a nice human being. Let's get to our featured film. Here we're discussing the 1992 horror comedy, Kronos. It was written and directed by Guillermo del Toro, and it stars Federico Lupi, Ron Perlman, and Claudio Brook. It is Guillermo del Toro's first feature film. So, Susan, can you give us a quick breakdown? What is this movie about? Yes, so uh, this movie starts off in 1536 during the Inquisition. Alchemist is trying to build a device that will give him eternal life. And then it cuts to, I think, 1937. And this building is collapsing, and they find this man who turns out to be the alchemist in the rubble. He's been pierced through the heart, and his skin is like this white marble color and texture in the moonlight. And the device is not, you know, recovered, um, or at least it's not said to be recovered. And then it turns up in this antique shop of Jesus, who finds it hidden in the bottom of an arch archangel sculpture. He's with his granddaughter Aurora when he finds it. They wind it up and it clamps onto his hand and injects something into him and he pulls it off. And then this guy, Angel, who is working for this super rich guy named De La Guardia, comes in and he buys this archangel and he's upset that the thing's not in it. So yeah, then they just goes off on this thing where they're trying to get this back from Jesus at all costs. Jesus is using the device over and over again. It's changing him and we'll get more into the plot, but that's sort of the overview. Absolutely. <laughs> so Alex, you chose this movie for us to talk about today. Why did you choose Kronos? Guillermo del Toro is just the best. Mm-hmm. He's, he's, yeah. he's uh, 
his need of telling stories is just amazing. And I mean, before before Kronos, he did this uh, terror show called La Telaraña and La Hora Marcada here in Mexico. I mean, you don't get that content like everywhere. But this was kind of his first movie. Yeah. And you can see the, the beginning of Guillermo's del Toro process, like yeah. the mach- the machinery on the device. Uh, and then if you go if you go to uh, Hellboy, mm-hmm. that's kind of the the heart of the yeah. the this uh, soulless guy. Well, the 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 bodiless mm-hmm. uh, general from the uh, from the Nazi army because he had a device that keeps them keeps him alive. Yeah, he's in love with monsters, so he's creating his own version of a monster. Yeah, uh, but in a very human being flesh kind mm-hmm. of character. Yeah. But at the same time, something that he do a lot is they he tells you like the human dilemma, like the human dilemma. Like, yeah. oh, you wanna you wanna be rich or you wanna be eternal or you wanna be um greedy. And if you go through all his movies, they go back to that to that story. It's kind of a, a good way to understand Guillermo. Yeah. Yeah. In the past, I was invited to shoot stuff for Guillermo. Uh, it was for for a show, and he tells the story of why he created monsters, like in his mind. And he says that when he was a when he was a kid, his grandma used to tell him stories. And then when he used to go back to his bed, he was super afraid, but at the same time, he was super happy to have all these monsters yeah. in his head. And then you watch Kronos, and it's kind of the grandfather and the granddaughter. Mm-hmm. Just so, just change sexes, but it's gonna be the same thing. Yeah, she's she's meeting the monster and she's getting the story of the monsters, mm-hmm. but at the same time, she's kind of caring about the monster. Yeah. Um. So, so yeah, I think cool. it's it's a it, it's a great it's a great way to understand a lot of the uh mm-hmm. filmography of Guillermo, and I think it's also an entertainment movie. Yeah, it is. Yeah, Absolutely. and um, yeah, it is. It is sort of like his version of a vampire right and yes. that's ultimately what he's turning into yes and i love what you said about the relationship between the grandfather and the granddaughter because even though he's turned to this scary thing his flesh is rotting and she you know she has to sleep in her toy box she still cares about him so much and still treats him like her grandpa it's just like a great the the acting in this is incredible and the relationship yeah. between those two especially i really loved yeah Guillermo is a, is a big fan of uh, the zombie movies from mm-hmm. from from the sixties, and those movies have like this social background. Uh, yeah. For instance, uh, Dawn of the Dead. It's right. it's not just about zombies. It's, a, right. uh, it's the human nature and and greed. And when you go back to 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 Kronos, there is a lot of that um, social idea. For instance, the greedy guy is the owner of this big factory. Yeah. And he has this American, oh, he, he speaks English, mm-hmm. and he has this American uh, nephew bodyguard. So if you go back to the zombie movies, it was I think it was the new Dawn of the Dead when they are on this mall just walking yeah. around. It wasn't Night of the Living Dead. It was another one uh, that they are in the middle of uh, like a big uh, building. The rich people are living in this building. Yeah. And the rest of us are just right. walking around fighting the monsters. So here is kind of the same thing. Like Guillermo is obviously saying, like, okay, the American guy, the um, the the guy who speaks English, 
is trying to take over yeah. what it's what it's something that came from from Mexico, from mm -hmm. an alchemist in Mexico. Right. Right. Yeah. So he's taking our resources. Maybe he it's not like that obvious in, in terms of he's trying to be anti-capitalism or mm -hmm. or just uh criticizing that straightforward the the idea of, of economics, but it's kind of a glitch yeah, of yeah. on that story. Yeah, uh, I definitely think it's there. Yeah. When you asked me for a movie, I was thinking. Because I was thinking about, okay, I love Josh Romero because Ooh. of this social content and his movies. Yeah. Then I thought about Nightcrawler, which is also like a, this amazing human yes. experience of someone is getting greedy because it's 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 getting famous, it's getting richer, blah, 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 and he doesn't care about anyone else. But then I, then I said like, okay, there's three Mexican, yeah. three Mexican directors, Los Tres Caballeros, the three big knights, Mexican knights, uh, <laughs> getting famous and rich in, in the yeah. U.S., Uh, telling stories, good stories, and mm -hmm. and uh, so I think it was also a good way, since I'm Mexican, yes. to just connect with the director and with yeah. content from yeah. from my side. Of course, yeah. And I I hadn't seen I have not seen a lot of early Guillermo del Toro, so I'm really glad we watched this. Yeah. This is not a movie I've seen before, and it was really good. And I agree, you can definitely see his roots in this movie, visually and thematically. Yeah, totally. So. And I cannot believe this is his first feature film. Yeah, I can't either. That's it's crazy. so polished. It's really good. <laughs> and it's so well directed. Yeah. Um, and you know, it has that old like 80s and early 90s um body horror in it, you know, of especially towards the end where he's mm -hmm. really becoming the monster. So much so that it's like, you know, as you mentioned, his skin is peeling off and he like reaches inside himself and, you know, is tearing off skin. And, you know, there are scenes like this that are that are gory, but some of them are played for laughs. Um, mm -hmm. you know, we have a, like a long sequence in a in a crematorium um, of like dealing with the body after it dies. And of course, he comes back to life. And but it, it's such a good story. And there are so many great moments in the film. Um, I'm going to ask you guys is your favorite, favorite mm -hmm. moments in a, in a minute. But I love, love, love the scene where he first, um, he's at this uh, New Year's party and there's a guy who has a nosebleed. And it's his like, first moment where you really see him turning into a monster after he's been addicted to the scarab, sort of like um, injecting him with with something that you don't know what it is. But he goes to the bathroom, follows this guy into the bathroom, and he's, the guy's cleaning himself up and leaves blood in the bathroom. And you know, he's so fixated on it. And it's like a long, steady shot in the film. And it doesn't like cut, which is just incredible. But he watches the blood and he like, he like, he gets it all together. And he looks like he's, you know, it looks like he's working with a drug, but he's really, it's just the blood. And he, and he's about to, you know, ingest it. And somebody walks in and then that guy finally leaves. And so he's, you know, and the other guy cleans it up and then he comes back and licks it off the floor. And it's such a disturbing scene, but it's so well done and it's and then of course he gets captured and all all this stuff happens but it's such an amazing scene to watch this guy really go over the top and see him turning into this monster mm -hmm. it, i thought it was a fantastic scene yeah so alex did you have a favorite scene in the movie that scene is just amazing the 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 drama or yeah mm -hmm. of just because because if you go back like a few minutes before that when he opens the 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 fridge and there's a piece of of steak just yeah. there bloody steak and he's kind of feeling that uh need of just and and guillermo kind of make you feel that yeah uh, and and it's a simple shot of someone opening the the, the fridge uh he he kind of brings i'm gonna i'm gonna go back to when 
Guillermo in an interview a few a few months ago, and this clip is online uh, right now a lot. Guillermo says like, okay, there there's good uh, scripts, and then they you have like these long scripts that they don't really work. For instance, if you if you write a script and it, and it says uh, Alex walked into the room with all the baggage of his past, blah 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 blah, he's like, how can you show the baggage of your past? Like right. you can say like, okay, he opens the door and then he looks backwards. Mm -hmm. He looks back and he he then turns into uh, the room and is dark and blah, blah, blah. And he goes into the light. That will tell you like the whole story more than just the baggage mm -hmm. uh, or, or or just the, the poetic uh, yeah. writing of, of the script. I think that that scene, when he, when he opens the door, it's the middle of the night. Mm -hmm. He starts drinking the water from the directly from the jar and how many times we have done that like you come hangover yeah. or you are just still drunk yeah. you open the fridge or you are just hungry yeah. and you open the fridge you start drinking the water and then you feel that it's not enough and you keep going and going and going when you see that you kind of connect with this guy because mm -hmm. um, that happens to any of us and then after the, all that stress, because that scene is like 45 seconds of yeah. just him just drinking water. Yeah. Simple as that. And it's the same frame. It the camera doesn't move. Yeah. The only light that is coming is from the fridge. So it's just the same scene. And then the next cut is his face, because he saw something in, in the fridge. Cut to his face. Five seconds on, on his face, like a struggling with something you don't know what and then cut to the steak mm -hmm. five seconds and then come come back to him and that will prepare the whole scene yep. for yep. that moment when he's on his knees by the floor leaking the blood mm -hmm. those moments build the whole sense of of these characters and also you have the the morgue scene when he's getting all his makeup yeah. and it's this funny moment of them damian alcazar this amazing uh, actor that they they are uh with with the director of the of the morgue and it's kind of a funny moment when yeah. he takes his gum and put it on his yes. on his <laughs> uh, clothes because he's gonna eat a banana i mean everything is it's kind of well constructed yeah. The bridge uh scene and then follow up to the to the bathroom uh mm -hmm. when he's licking the blood. I think that's kind that kind of creates a lot of for me. Yeah. For sure. Susan, yeah. do you have a favorite scene? Um, well, the both two you both named are really great. I think it is hard to pick just some like little moments that stood out to me in the same thread as those when at the very end when his granddaughter's hand is bleeding yeah, yeah. and you see he does that actor is so good you see on his face that struggle his desire like i'm gonna feed on this girl and then you see that struggle of like what am i doing and then you finally you see him overcome it and it's not even that long of a shot but just the changes in his face they're so subtle but they're so powerful that it communicates all of that and then you know it then gets to him like deciding to destroy the um, device. I also thought it was interesting when they showed the inner workings of the device with the bug. Yeah. I thought that was really cool and just visually rem like I could see Guillermo del Toro in that shot. Totally. Um, so well designed. The visuals. Yeah. It was really, really interesting. Yeah. For people who doesn't know the background of Guillermo, mm -hmm. he used to do a lot of, of makeup and characterization. Mm -hmm. And also he was the one building the device. He 
He actually Ooh. designed the device. Oh, nice. I didn't know that. With I think Guillermo Newton was the one actually building it. Okay. But the whole design, it's from Guillermo's yeah. mind. Yeah. Uh, because he used to do that in La Telaraña and in mm -hmm. La Hora Marcada. Uh, so he was he was doing uh, characterization, mm -hmm. uh, makeup, and building some some sets, and that's how he created his way into then directing. We like to finish up our show today with a game that we're calling Cult Classics. In honor of Kronos, we're going to see how well both of you know films that are popular with particular groups of people. So Alex, you'll be playing against Susan. So here are the rules. I'm going to describe a film that is considered a cult classic. If you know the title of the project, shout it out. And if you're correct, you'll earn one point. I have seven titles for you both to identify, and whoever gets the most correct will win our prize. And Susan, what's our prize? Uh, some Life in the Credits merchandise. A shirt, mug, something like that. <laughs> Very exciting. <laughs> All right. So, Alex, are you ready to play? Let's play. Susan? Let's do it. All right. Number one. On a wild and rain-swept late November evening, somewhere in an empty stretch of road outside of Ohio, a boring, innocent young pair, Brad and Janet, find themselves stranded. Oh, a Rocky Horror Picture Show. That is correct. Yes. <laughs> Very good, Susan. You're on the board with okay. one point. Number two. Taking place during the election year in the late 1980s, this movie tells the story of a troll teenager who receives disturbing visions from a tall bunny rabbit telling him that the world will come soon to an end. Seeking answers, the teenager investigates time travel in an attempt to turn back the clock and prevent the world's seemingly impending doom and actions which pose bizarre and life-changing results. Any idea what movie that is? Donnie Darko, yeah. Yeah. Donnie Darko is correct. Okay, one to one. Number three. Raul Duke is a drug-addled journalist he is sent to cover a motorcycle race as an article for his magazine, but then the situation escalates into him and his psychotic attorney searching for the American dream, aided by almost every drug known to man in the boot of his red convertible. Oh, it's um with Johnny Depp. Yes. Fear and loading in Las Vegas. Yes. <laughs> you got there. Well done, Alex. Oh, uh, well done. Fear and loading in Las Vegas is correct. So that's your second oh. point, two to one. Okay. Number four. Dante Hicks is not having a good day. He oh, is this Clerks? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> wow, you're on fire. I know Kevin Smith movies pretty well. Two to two. That was Clerks. Number five. Five college students take time off to spend a peaceful vacation in a remote cabin. Cabin in the woods. No, but oh, that's no, a great that's a movie, great though. Guess. That is a good guess. A book and audio tape are discovered, and its evil is found to be powerful once the incarnations are read out loud. The friends find themselves helpless to stop the evil as it takes them one by one, and only one survivor left who desperately tries to fight to live until morning. Mm. I'll give you Do you guys need a hint? Yeah, I don't know what this is. This movie was directed by Sam Raimi. I'll give it's you tough because you hint. also just described the plot of Cabin in the Woods. <laughs> well, Cabin in the Woods is heavily influenced by this movie. Is it all there? Yes. Very oh, good. Wow. All right. Well done. What is it? 
the score. The Evil Dead. Uh, so that takes us uh, three to two. Three to two. Okay. Which means that if Alex gets one more right, he wins. Okay. Number six. Tired of the crime over overrunning the streets of Boston, Irish Catholic twin brothers Connor and Murphy are inspired by their faith to cleanse their hometown of evil with their own brand of zealous vigilante justice. As they hunt down and kill one notorious gangster after another, they become controversial folk heroes in the community. But an eccentric FBI agent is fast closing in on their blood-soaked trail. What movie is that? Oh. Oh, sorry, the, the thing is, in Mexico, we have the names in Spanish. But you I can think, say it in Spanish. It's something, it's something about saint. Yes, that's right. The Boondock Saints? Yes, the Boondock yes. Saints is correct. Well okay. done, Alex. All right, so, well, well oh, done. Four, so, Alex, you won. However, I have one more. We're okay. going to do it just for fun. Okay. Three software engineers have had enough of the daily grind working oh, there. This is office space. Yes, yeah. very good, Susan. <laughs> well, well done, Alex. You've Congratulations. Won that was a good Thank game. You. I like to donate all this money. Oh, this million dollar to the people in the U.S. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, we're not quite at a million dollars on our podcast. Yet, we appreciate it. But yeah, absolutely. So, Alex, before we let you go tonight, is there anything that you would like to plug? Um, no, I'm 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 happy to uh, to be here. Uh, thank you for for having me. I uh, had fun, and I hope uh, everything that I said makes sense. It does. Yeah, absolutely, 100%. <laughs> yes, we really appreciate it. This was really interesting, um, and we loved watching Kronos. Like great pick. So yeah, thank you for picking that movie too, and thank yeah, you for the show. Yeah. If you want to, uh, and if people want to come to Mexico, um, not even for work, if they yeah. want to come, because this happens a lot to me, because mm -hmm. they watch me on this these shows, uh, yeah. these international shows. Sometimes people just write me on Instagram. They can just hit me on Instagram, and awesome. I can just recommend anything, like food wise, location wise, uh, travel, food, culture. Just let me know, and I can just give my kind of my insights to anyone who wants to to know my country so just follow me and as alex roa in on instagram awesome well very cool we'll definitely do that we'll hit you up for that for sure yes well thank you again so much this was so fun an absolute pleasure yeah it was a pleasure life in the credits is hosted and produced by me susan swarner and me ben bloom it's executive produced by michelle levin the music is written and performed by steve trowbridge you can hear more of steve's music at trowbridgesounds.com the show logo is created by Melissa Durkin. If you'd like to support Life in the Credits and get access to exclusive perks, you can do so at patreon.com. If you'd like to follow or get a hold of us, you can find us on Facebook and Instagram at Life in the Credits or shoot us an email at lifeinthecredits at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. So I asked for a microphone and I never got it. Oh, no. So I guess that was my, my big trauma. Yeah. So. <laughs>